listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Um, It is my pleasure to have with me on the couch today uh, my good friend, uh, Dr. Ricky Cotton. Um, Many of you, I would imagine, know Ricky and Anna. They are part of the Oasis community. You may or may not know the history of our relationship. So some little over 17 years ago, Ricky, it was now. It is amazing. Um, I came to work at Southeastern College, as it was called then, and I was a lowly assistant professor of religion, and the famed Dr. Ricky Cotton that I heard of was the professor of English and the chair of communication, English, and foreign languages. So initially, it was a professional colleague, but it pretty quickly turned in to a deep spiritual friendship. I don't think your mic is on. Is it not on? Oh, there it is. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now. All right, good. All right, so uh, since then, though, Ricky, uh, you've retired. Yay, I love retirement. (laughs) Yeah, retirement's a good thing. However, we say you've retired from the university, but... Uh, what are you doing now? What's your primary activity? I, I am contem- uh, committed to what you might call contemplative spirituality, which simply means deep communion with God. And uh, so I do workshops for that and spiritual direction and some retreats I lead. Right. So uh, our relationship, everyone, you know, it started off very professional. It became very personal. And it's still very personal, but it's taking on a, a formal way, too. Uh, now Ricky is my in addition to being my close friend, he's also my spiritual director. And so we meet on a regular basis, and he is, he's one of my most important guides in my life. But you, you also now are on faculty again? Yes, uh, I, uh, Contemplative Outreach, uh, an interdenominational um, organization I work with, they have a program called Living Flame, which goes to various regions of the, really the world, but the country primarily, and and does some in-depth teaching on prayer and community, that sort of thing. So let's talk. We have a handout for everyone today that's really mostly just a resource for you to take home. But it talks about five major spiritual practices. Uh, it talks about... My favorites. Right. So, so they have been kind enough since they asked me to speak to let me share my favorite there you spiritual go. practices. All right, I don't have a copy in front of me. Trey, would you hand me one? Thanks. So just real quickly... One of them is contemplative prayer. Yes. And you've taught on that here at Oasis before. I have. Uh, and that simply means, as I say, it's just heart-to-heart communion with God. It's a multisyllabic word. After all, I was an English professor, okay? Mm-hmm. I get to use big words every once in a while. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> One of them here is called praying the scriptures. Yes. we had a, Remember we had a, a group that met once a week at Southeastern to pray the scriptures together. We did. There are Bible wonderful. studies, you know, and there's um, teaching of Bible passages, and there's reading the Bible through in a year. But this uh, group we had for about 15 years, Robbie. It was that long, yeah. We prayed the scriptures. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to diverge just for real quick. Um, so when I, was, when I was a part of that practice... Um, you've heard me talk before about how I've struggled in the past with um, anger issues. And um, 
every once in a while, Angela would say to me, she would say, have you been to prayer lately? And I'm like, no, why? And she's like, mm, maybe you should give Ricky a call. So that was very impactful. This, uh, you meet, on this list as well is this word surrender. Yes, I, um, when we talk about the practices in general, I don't like the word spiritual disciplines or the phrase spiritual disciplines. Doesn't practices sound a little easier going, you know, a little more relaxed? You don't have to get it right, so to speak. I mean, I don't typically <laughs> like to be disciplined, if that's what you're asking. Yeah. So um, the practices are simply practicing the presence of God, the way that Brother Lawrence talked about hundreds of years ago. You're practicing being aware of God and, and just resting in God and bringing that into all the, all the other activities. One of the key practices, I think, is a daily surrender practice mm. where you, in effect, say to God, what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine. Mm, I love and then that. Elaborate on that everything, anything, your, your arrangement, and then I'll try to flow with that. I'll try to engage. It does remind me, uh, church, you might remember, I like to quote Anne Lamont's a little book on prayer about, you know, wow, thanks, and help. <laughs> these, these three one word prayers that kind of not sum up the totality of prayer, but a lot of prayer fits into those categories. Help, you know, when I'm asking God to do something, some kind of petition. Wow, you know, the act of worship and kind of appreciating the awesomeness of God. Uh, and thanks, you know, gratitude. But I'll sometimes add to that when, I'm, when I talk about Anne Lamont. I'll say, I have a spiritual mentor in my life that would also like to add to that, yes, Right? The prayer of yes. Well, here he is. <laughs> this, this, Ricky Cotton, is, is that spiritual mentor. Uh, the fourth one on the list is communion. And, and if you know me at all, um, those of you who do, know how near and dear to me the practice of communion is. If you haven't picked up on it, we do it every week. <laughs> right? It is an important practice. But the fifth one on the, on the list is is what we're here to talk about today in our series on friends, and that's spiritual friendship. Yes. And Ricky, I'm, I'm so delighted that you're here with us today and that you're going to speak for us on this spiritual practice of, or of spiritual friendship. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, actually, when Robbie came and had been here a few months in Lakeland, the students started coming to me and said, there's this new guy over in the religion professor. You won't believe him. And then they said, you've, you've got to meet him. He, he's, he's like you. He's, he's like you. Somebody over in religions like you, Dr. Cotton. And so I said, okay, okay. And then we met and it began. It pretty much it was an instant, I thought, an instant connection of just kind of some energy, kind of curiosity, some openness, some affirmation. And we've had then that kind of relationship for 17 years. What a, what a gift. Well, I haven't preached here in a little while. I am a, a friend of Oasis going back uh, years and years and years. I guess you're going to celebrate your 25th anniversary next year. Have you thought about that? 25 years. And Oasis, as the name suggests, was founded as an oasis, a place where people were having some trouble fitting in at this church or that church or this denomination could have a place of refreshing, a place of being accepted, a place of belonging. So I've been very interested in that. For years and years and years, and, and in and out uh, doing some teaching or doing a little bit of preaching every once in a while. And usually when I preach, I try to tell you everything I currently know. 
Now, in the process, I've also been committed to not running over, not preaching too long. But last time I failed, could be having to do with retirement, you know, kind of losing the boundaries, losing the... So, I don't know. You better pray that I maintain my discipline here and, uh, and keep, it, keep it within uh, reasonable rec- um, dynamics. So, going to the, uh, back to this word practices again. So, what, what I'm suggesting here and what many are suggesting across the body of Christ, and this kind of word is, is it, it's not a majority movement, it's not dominant culture, but across the body of Christ, across the world, people are beginning to say, we've got to be more intentional. We've got to have some sense of of actually practicing what we preach, incarnating, actualizing what we preach. And so that's where the term spiritual practices comes from. It's a way of practicing the presence. People go back to Brother Lawrence, as I said, from the Middle Ages. He talked about practicing the presence of God while peeling potatoes in the kitchen. He was kind of a low a lower ranking person in the monastery, and yet he was recognized as, a, as somebody who manifested, who exhibited, who exuded really, if you will, the presence of God. There was just something about him, uh, an aura, a presence. Not an aura in too big a spooky word. That's okay. So, didn't you like the scripture? Guy read it so well, didn't he? Actually, I only like two verses of it for today. But I thought, we better do the thing. Robbie will get on to me if we don't have whole context. So, so we did read all the context, and it is all good. But right in there at verse 7 and 8, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I had you in my heart. This is the Apostle Paul. Don't you think of him as kind of fierce a lot of the times, you know, kind of aggressive and dominating? And look what he says to these people. I have you in my heart And then he says, I long for all of you. This is Paul talking. So this this kind of affection that is deeper than emotionality, I want to suggest. There is is the presence of God that is is underneath what we think and what we feel and all our commentaries and all of our self-evaluations. And so in that deeper place, rather than trying to whip up affection or whip up emotionality, resting and realizing, gosh, I, I am rooted in love. I am drawing my moment-by-moment existence from love. And then as you gaze at this or that brother and sister, realizing, I do see, I do see the presence of Christ, the Spirit emanating and coming from them. And all of that without being too dramatic. I always like to say, no drama, no hype. And then I use these kind of very dramatic-sounding phrases So, I speak out of both sides of my mouth. You know that about me now. Sometimes I say this and sometimes I say that and I mean both of them. So, that's that's where we're going. I long for you. I long for you, he said. So, I'm going to tell you this one story that comes across the traditions. There was a spiritual teacher who, who became a legend in his lifetime. Not me. But he became a legend in his lifetime and it said that God decided to seek his advice. He said, I want to play hide and seek with the human race. Where could I hide where they, where they can't find me? And he said, oh God, that's easy. Hide in the human heart. They'll never think to look there. And if you realize how busy we can be, how task oriented or activity oriented, we can often be sort of moving along to the next thing and to the next thing and to the next thing. Maybe turning on something or reading something or, 
or uh, going next door to see somebody. If, if there's like a moment to actually be present to your own heart, it's like you, 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 you might avoid it. Many of us would avoid it because we're Americans. We're busy. We're activity-oriented. We've got media uh, at us. Hide in the human heart. That's the last place they'll think of. And so when we speak of this friendship with God that we're called to, Jesus is a friend, we have to move into our own heart. Is that where Jesus lives? I have Jesus in my heart. Jesus in my heart. So that is the place for this heart-to-heart communion, this heart-to-heart oneness. Oneness. I have to talk a bit more about that phrase in a moment. So that's the calling to this spiritual friendship. The great commandment is to love God, and the second is like it, to love one another. And these are commandments. How do we do that? How do we practice it? How do we incarnate it? So, spiritual friendship is also called spiritual companioning or soul friending. And uh, just sort of a general overview before I look a little bit at it in Scripture and look at maybe a, a few voices coming across the centuries. Always important to me that we, that we realize that we're not just a contemporary phenomenon. That the church is across the centuries. And I think we test all things, hold fast to the good. And, and then we find what is God saying for us to bring forward and, and bring into integration with the things that we're also discovering and doing in the presence. So this spiritual companioning, soul friending, or spiritual friendship as we call it, is always Christ-centered. Love God first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And its purpose is a practice of the presence. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, then I am in their midst. So if we bring this intentionality, if we enter into uh, some of the meetings that we might do with this or that brother or sister, then, then God would honor that. So we can have church, if you will, with a brother or sister. Like Robbie and I meet once a month. And to us, we're having church. We're meeting. And, and that becomes different than just hanging out or enjoying going to whatever we enjoy, going to athletic events or dramatic events or whatever they might be. But just with some regularity, having some relationships where you intentionally meet and maybe say a word of commitment to God, maybe have a minute of silence, and then what would you share? Well, just the affairs of your life, but share them in a way that kind of is inviting God's presence and God's perspective. Easy, non-dramatic, no hype. And all of this is centered in Christ for the purposes of Christ. So we give one another this gift of presence, this gift of awareness, slowing down, being present. These are some phrases I used. Being aware, being in the silence together at times. Hanging out might be something else we do with this or that brother or sister, or we might have this kind of relationship with somebody that we don't see in more casual settings. So it's part of a continuum, part of a, an integration, an array of ways of being and giving ourselves to God. When I taught, I always said the most important voice in the classroom was the students. So when we do soul companioning, the most important voice in the conversation is the other person's. Because if you think about it, it's what you hear yourself saying that most impacts you. 
that most begins to be an expression coming from your own heart. So I tried to bring that into my classroom when I taught, and I certainly particularly enjoy doing it with this, with this uh, spiritual friendship. So we might think of this as spiritual conversation as being the heart of the relationship, or dialogue is a word I often enjoy. Dia means two, so two words. Both of you are coming to voice. And then Christ becomes the third, and is the third. And, and we just... Um, we explore things letting God's perspective, letting God's feeling for that situation, God's investment and presence in the situation. And so I'll come to a few more particularities about that, but I want to see about some of these dynamics in the Scripture as well. This base, you remember, uh, as I already said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was pretty emphatic about this. He said... All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Another place he said, a new command I give you, love one another. And then I like this. Sometimes I think we read too much Scripture too fast. That's one of the purposes of praying the Scriptures as a, as a spiritual practice. Take a shorter section Read it several times. Sit with it in silence. Let, it, let God work it into you. But at Lazarus' tomb, when he's about to call him forth to res resurrection, to, to the resurrection, he cried. And there was this phrase there. It's so poignant. I always stop and, and, and I, I just can't go on for a few seconds. See how he loved him. Well, why would he cry? I mean, this is Jesus Christ. He's about to work a great miracle. In fact, the greatest miracle, perhaps, of his ministry. And yet he cries with a pain, I presume, the pain that Lazarus went through in terms of that dying process and wondering where Jesus was and the pain of his sisters as they were so disappointed that Jesus wasn't coming and so aching as their, as their brother died. And Jesus cried for that. Now, this was all God's timing and God's will, I believe. But nevertheless, it was sad. It was worth crying over, being tenderly moved by. In John 17, Jesus prayed this prayer that I said I was going to get to, about, get to later. This is Jesus praying. We have to be the answer to this prayer, part of the answer. He prayed that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us. Let me read that again. This is Jesus' prayer. That all of them may be one. I'm not there yet. Just as you, says to the Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So this, this oneness that Jesus has with the Father, this very same oneness He longs for us to have with one another, May they also be in us. We're to be one with Him, one with the Father, one with one another, in the same way that the Trinity is one. One in three. Trinity is a wonderful image for the way that God, God desires us to be. Are we one or are we more than one? Am I my individuality, my uniqueness? Yes, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is the oneness. That's the first thing that he prayed for here. 
Ephesians 4 talks about bearing with one another in love. So sometimes it may be kind of boring or hard or painful. We enter into one another's agony. We enter into one another's ecstasy and all the things in between because it's all God's. God is present everywhere at all times in everything, always, always working His will. Paul in the same passage in uh, Ephesians 4 said, There is one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Yeah, that's almost as confusing as John 17. One with Jesus, one with the Father, one with one another, in Him, Him in us. And then look at this, one Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. I like it, but sometimes I just have to just sit in silence with that. I don't, I don't quite get it. I, don't, I can't get my mind around. Oh, wait a minute, this is God. I can't get my mind around Him, can I? God... Really meditating on God, really reflecting on God should send us to a place where we are wordless, where we are just silence. It's been said that God's first language is silence. And of course our scripture this morning, again if I could come back to it, I have you in my heart. I long for you. So how might this look coming to us over, over the centuries. Maybe I'll start with C.S. Lewis. He's safe, right? I, I always try to start off safe because I sometimes get a little dangerous before I'm, I finish talking. But Lewis said, we live starved for solitude and silence. And therefore we are starved for meditation and for true friendship. So somehow or another, the way that Lewis was putting that together, it's in The Weight of Glory, one of his most meditative books. Some, somehow the way he's putting it together, solitude, silence, meditation, and true friendship go together in one sentence. I, I, I love that. Well, let's go all the way back to St. Augustine. Now we're in the 300s and the 400s. He said, if they are not to remain solitary, there must be friendship. You weld friendship between souls, clinging together by the love poured forth in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. Some key words there. You weld friendship. So it's a welding. Interesting metaphor. Weld it. These souls cling to one another in the love poured forth in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. So this is... St. Augustine, the great theologian, Augustine of Hippo in the late 300s, early 400s. Going to the Middle Ages, a guy named Alred of Riveau. That's a familiar name. You know him, right? See why I started with Lewis? People get nervous when I quote St. Augustine. And then when I go to Alred, they're thinking, you're just a Catholic, really, aren't you? You're just a Roman Catholic. no. No, but I am a person that thinks that God in the time of the internet, in the time of jet travel, is wanting to mix things together and have us enriched and stimulated by a whole, whole kinds of information that we, so that we don't just become little islands in our various subcultures, in our various localities. And then do it the same old, same old. If somebody comes along quoting a, 
a Roman Catholic think, whoa, whoa. I remember there was a, uh, one, one of the vice president's students' life once had a, a prayer service and used candles. Got all these phone calls from churches out that contributed money to us saying, what are you doing having a prayer service with candles? Isn't that strange? Yeah, it was a dangerous place to teach. I survived. Pray for Robbie. <laughs> no, that kind of thing doesn't happen. That doesn't happen to you, has it? Maybe one or two of your colleagues. <laughs> All right, so Isle Red said he was, he was the abbot of one of the most famous monasteries in England back in the Middle Ages, sort of the middle of the Middle Ages. And he's, he's most famous now for a book he, he wrote called Spiritual Friendship. And in his, in his museum, he was in, in his monastery, he was very careful to make sure there were opportunities and times for that. So, he, uh, as, as he described that in his book, Spiritual Friendship, he said, Here we are, you and I. Christ makes a third with us, and no one can interrupt us now. Come now, my dear friend, reveal your heart and speak your mind. So, a wonderful abbot from the Middle Ages. This isn't some contemporary writer over-influenced over, uh, over by Romanticism. Was, um, was speaking this kind of language. Reveal your heart to me and speak your mind. And he also said, and this is relevant to those kinds of conversations, no medicine is more valuable or effective than a friend to whom we can turn for consolation in time of trouble or happiness in times of joy. So there it is. We're together with the agony and the ecstasy. I wish I could say to you that when you, know, when you really get close to Jesus in this life, you won't have any more troubles. You'll have no more pain. You'll never be disappointed. You'll never experience failure. That is not in the Bible. That's just not there. God joins us in those. God works with us in the midst of those and brings good out of them in the long run. In the short run, agony maybe but also ecstasy and all of the various stages in between. So, Isle Red said, consolation in trouble and happiness in joy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, there is a kind of listening with half an ear that presumes to already know what the other person has to say. Pretty much everybody's guilty of doing that from time to time. I still slip in it now and then, but it's not the ideal way. This is what Bonhoeffer called for in his book Life Together, which is about community and communion among brothers and sisters. He said, we should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the Word of God. So He's making this a requirement that we learn to listen well, to restrain ourselves from giving advice or solving the situation or telling our own version of that story. We listen so that we may speak the Word of God. We may speak it. Now, not to sound too heavy, Wesley Hill said, God never meant us to be purely spiritual. That's why He makes material things like conversations, shared meals, trips, hugs, small kindnesses, gifts between friends. So, certainly that is, that is part of the deal. But just a few spe specifics now as I'm sort of wanting to move this, 
to a place of conclusion because my number one spiritual friend, now normally I wouldn't rank spiritual friends, but this will be my number one spiritual friend is going to come up and read a poem that says everything I'm saying but better. And so that's my wife Anna. So I wouldn't rank my spiritual friends otherwise, but you'll see why when she comes up, why she is definitely number one. So we are blessed that way. But in the monastic tradition, which is, a, an ex, which is a resource available to us, we can check it out and take what we want and then come here and do it at Oasis. We wanted to. We could. Robbie, we could. We could go visit a Catholic Mass and say, oh, don't like that. Oh, I do like that. We could do that. We could do anything. We could read about the Eastern Orthodox over in uh, Constantinople, now called Istanbul. I still like the old Christian name. And we could, we could do some of that. See, this is all available to us in a place like Oasis, which is kind of something new, something different, I think. What are y'all? We'll see. You're still becoming whatever you are, right? So, spiritual, spiritual friendship, soul friending, soul companioning can't be done alone, obviously. This growing together in God, becoming the body of Christ can't be done Alone, And as human and divine friendship become more and more one, am I being godly here? Am I loving my friend here? Well, they become one. You can't tell them apart. And all of it aids into a brother or sister's relationship with God. And anytime any Christian, any one Christian goes closer to God, becomes more sensitive, more aware, more enabled, more skillful to live out God's will, the entire church is enriched and strengthened. And the world is given a better chance of hearing, seeing, encountering the gospel. That's available to us. So we, we share responsibility and commitment not just for our own life, but for our brothers and sisters, their lives in God. We, we feel we feel that we really want them to be close to God. We want to help them. We want to support it. We want to pray for that. We want to contribute. So, a mutual commitment. So, this could involve praying together, but you know, often really close relationships, really trusting relationships, you can just sit in silence together. No words necessary. You just are enriched. You're just deepened. You're just strengthened by being in the presence of the other person. Of the other person. When we do express or manifest or do some act of love for one another, it speaks of God. It preaches the gospel to the other person because it lives out, it incarnates, it makes it real. And it helps us to perceive, to become more aware. So that as we're in unforced conversation with little moments of silence strewn, strewn in here and there, we began to just be able to be aware, to be sensitive to the presence of God. So, none of this can be possible if we are primarily concerned with our own feelings or our own situation. Selfishness is, is the thing that blocks us from God and from one another. Thomas Merton, one of my great heroes said, there can be no true community without the practice of solitude, but without the practice of solitude there can be no true community. That means no true friendship, 
So you have to come for a place, come from a place at which God is first. Because no one person can ever fulfill all of your needs. No one person can ever satisfy those occasional attacks of loneliness you might have. Or there must be something more. I desire something, something beyond what I'm experiencing. If you try to get that from another person, guess what happens to that relationship in the long term? There it is. It's gone. It's gone. Interesting, Thomas Keating said that spiritual friendship is vital in the monastery as much as it's vital in marriage and in, in friendships in the church. Every bit is vital. So if we're not careful, we can be in a place where the opportunities for spiritual friendship, which we can't force, we can kind of rest in God, pray for, be sensitive to where they're possible, be, be, be available, so to speak, to, to others. And, and uh, let me just say again, this is different than just hanging out or being relaxed. So you might find one in one place, one in another, or you might find them in the same place. But the great testimony that Tertullian observed the Christians in Rome giving back in A.D. 200. He said, the Romans were amazed by the Christians in their midst and would exclaim to one another, see how they love one another. That was the mark. That was the, the characteristic that continued to dramatically. And this is before the church was the official church of the Roman Empire, right around 200, A.D. 200. So my prayer for all of us is that we become aware, we become intentional, that we have some core practices. You identify what works for you. But when you do those on some sort of regular basis, virtually daily, if not daily, basis that you're doing that a desire to just be present in pure faith, not by an emotional affirmation or consolation or a mental like, yeah, I see how that led to this and got me that answer. But, but in, the, in the realm of pure faith, just sensing the presence, the action of God undergirding and strengthening you. And then we can be like those that Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke of. We listen with the ears of God, and therefore we become speakers of the Word of God. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.